So this morning, Easter Sunday, we're going to look together at a passage in John's Gospel, John chapter 20, uh, verses 24 through 31. And you can find that on page 12 of your bulletin. Um, I, I preached this story um, a, a couple years ago, and it's become one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, but... Um, if you're visiting this morning, um, this is also my golly. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you're visiting, first of all, it's not unusual that I would be crying, but this is a little early in the game for for even me. But um, uh, goodness, um, this is my last Sunday, um, and so I, I want to. Oh, this is going to be my security blanket. Mm. And so I want to use it, uh, the time in this passage, to also um, say goodbye and thank you. Um, goodness gracious. Um, and, and not just for all you've done for me and my family, but um, for who you are as a church um, and for mm, who you've become by God's grace. I was going to say something else, but I think it's best that I just get to reading this passage and, and get moving. So um, let, me, let me read for us uh, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31, and then we'll, we'll pray together and we'll talk about this passage. Listen to God's Word. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, "'We have seen the Lord.'" But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's go before Him in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that You would pour out Your Spirit, that we would that our ears would be open to hear you speak, um, that your word would be written upon our hearts. Uh, we pray that this morning, as we look together into your word, um, you would remind us of the truth of the gospel and that you would remind us that all of us, every one of us, is far more broken than we could have ever imagined but because of Jesus' person and His work, His life, death, and resurrection, 
we can be assured that though we're far more broken than we could ever imagine, we are also far more loved and far more secure and approved of and accepted than we could have ever dared dream possible. So we thank you for this and ask that you would help us now to see Jesus with the eyes of faith. Amen. Um, This is a famous Easter story, um, the day that Thomas met the resurrected Jesus, and perhaps, like me, you you may have grown up hearing um, as a child about doubting Thomas, um, and I want to say to you this morning that I don't think that's a very fair title to give uh, this man, and I want to try to show you why. Um, and and I, I think if you can see why, um, why it's not fair to call him doubting Thomas so much as believing Thomas, then I, I, I think it might help this story really come alive for you in a new way. Um, you know, that simple question of why is a huge question, um, hugely important. At the end of a, a long, good, hard day of, of parenting, when your kids bring you a question about their homework, um, something about long division or parsing grammar or some kind of word problem, it's very, very tempting, I know, uh, to just give them the answer, right? Um, it, you know, it's 47, that's an adverb, the answer's condensation or something, and but to help them really learn the material, to help them really understand uh, the material that they're learning, we ask our kids when we're, when we're parenting at our best, I guess, um, we ask them a lot of why questions. You know, why did you subtract an ad right there? Uh, why do you think that word is an adverb? Uh, why does water uh, condense on the outside of a glass? Whatever the deal is. And we're saying, why, why, why? You have to think it out, right? You have to work the problem. Because we want them to learn not just the right answer, uh, but, but how to think. Um, and to do that, they need to understand the why questions. Now, John 20 obviously comes after Jesus' resurrection. It's the story of Thomas questioning the reality of Jesus' resurrection, and then Jesus meeting Thomas um, and appearing to Thomas. And up front, I want, I want to show you metaphorically how to work the long division and parse the grammar in this story. And what I mean is, we've got to ask the why question about this story, why did John write this story about Thomas? Why did John include this story of Thomas right where he included it? Um, Look, verse 30 and 31 of our passage, John basically wrote, I could have told you a ton more stories about Jesus in this book. That's what he's saying, but he's saying, but I included the stories that I did so that you would believe in Jesus the Son of God, and have life in Him. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I was very, very selective in my writing. I chose the stories I chose so that you would believe and find life. You know that John's gospel, when you read through John's gospel, you may not realize this, but it only covers 21 maybe 22 days of Jesus' life. 
He wasn't, he didn't set out trying to write an exhaustive biography. He was extremely selective and intentional in the stories he told. So now hone in on this one day, this one story of Thomas. Why did he, why did John put it, put that story right here at the climax of his entire book? All my life I've heard about doubting Thomas, Thomas the doubter. But that's not fair. Because that can't be why John put that story right here. See, John wasn't saying, look how Thomas doubted. John was saying, look how Thomas believed. Right? He's holding Thomas up to us as his great example of how to believe and find life in Jesus. And so that's it this morning. That's what I want to talk to you about. How do you believe like Thomas. See, whether you're a Christian and you need to go on believing, or you're unsure of what you believe this morning, or even if you're skeptical skeptical and you feel like you can't believe it, I want you to hear what Thomas teaches us this morning about how to believe. And there are just three simple things I want to share with you. First, you have to show up. And second, you have to get real And third, you have to fall down. And I'll explain what all those means, but you have to show up, you have to get real, and you have to fall down. First, you have to show up. I mean, that's what Thomas did here. He wasn't with his friends a week earlier when Jesus had appeared to the other disciples. But even with all his questions and with all his doubts, this story is saying he still showed up. It's, it's easy, I know, to fall into the trap of treating the Bible with a certain chronological ar- arrogance. Um, you probably know what I mean. Of course, those guys believed in things like miracles and uh, Jesus being the Son of God and, and the resurrection. I, I mean, they were so primitive, right? They were so unsophisticated. They were so superstitious back then. Listen, out of Thomas's 11 closest friends— 11 of them, 11 out of 11, came to him and said, we saw Jesus. He's alive. And and this is my unauthorized paraphrase of what Thomas said to them. What have you guys been smoking? It's crazy talk, right? He's saying, only if I could stick my finger in the nail prints would I ever believe in anything as ridiculous as that. Do you, but what about Thomas's, uh, his 11 friends, right? Do you remember what happened when they heard about Jesus' resurrection? Some women went to anoint Jesus' body in the tomb, and he wasn't there. And when the women came back and told these guys that Jesus was alive, this is what they said in Luke chapter 24. It said that the disciples thought it was an idle tale and did not believe them. They said, foolish, you're crazy. Until they saw Jesus himself, they thought it was ridiculous too. No one, absolutely no one was looking for a resurrection. Thomas and his friends were just like us. So Thomas basically said, no way I'm going to believe that. And I know I'm making a little inference here, but I can't think of another way to account for verse 26, which says, eight days later his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. I mean, Thomas said, no way I'm going to believe that. 
And I think his friends must have said something like, okay, that's fine, but just come hang out with us at church next week and see what happens. Right? He was struggling with his doubts. He didn't believe them. But he showed up. And when he showed up, he came face to face with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And here's my point and the point of this passage. Thomas showed up in community. Right? He wasn't off by himself when he met the resurrected Jesus. He wasn't. I mean, this is a huge point in the whole Bible. You and I need community. We need one another. God made us in such a way that we were meant to process and work through the claims of Jesus with friends, in relationships, in community. To believe for the first time or to process through your doubts or to just go on believing, you've got to show up. Listen, if we can be honest for a moment— There are some hard things to believe in Christianity. There really are. We believe in a triune God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I wish my kids would stop asking me to explain it. Because I can't. There are hard things to believe in Christianity. You know, another one, Christianity simultaneously has probably the most pessimistic and the most optimistic view of humanity of any worldview. I mean, even your righteousness, the Bible says, needs to be repented of. It's filthy rags. That's pessimistic. But it also says, you are made in the very image of God, and one day you will be made perfect and rule over all things with Jesus. That's hard to believe. Here's another one. We believe that right now, somewhere in some dimension, there is a resurrected Jesus with a physical body. That's hard to believe. Difficult to believe. Right? God made us to process through these things in community, in relationship with one another. Showing up in community isn't just the entry point for belief in Jesus. It's also the way We all go on believing in the midst of life's brokenness. The author of Hebrews wrote, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We've got to show up for one another. Listen, I really do want to encourage you today um, to keep showing up. And I also want to say thank you for showing up for me and for my family we've showed up for one another. I mean, in times of joy and pain, in times of confusion and peace and struggle and victory, all kinds of things, in fear and in hope. Listen, this life can be hard. We all know that it is a broken world, and we're broken And there have been times in my life, I know, that I've just needed to show up. And I've needed you to believe for me. When it was hard for me myself to believe the good news. And you've done that for me, for my family, 
And I want to encourage you to keep showing up, right? To come as you are and to bring your doubts and your anxieties and your fears and your struggles and your joys and your pains and all of that stuff to keep showing up, to believe you have to show up. I can't thank you enough for showing up for me. And, and listen, I want to say one more thing before we move on from this point. There's probably some of you here thinking, um, even as I say that, that church is the last place you would ever want to show up um, regularly in any kind of way with your brokenness and your fears and your struggles and your confusion. And I get that. Because the church has often failed to be a community that welcomes you to show up and come as you are. And so I want to talk to you about that in the second point, because the second thing we see here is that if you're going to believe, you, can't, you don't just have to show up, you also have to get real. And by that, I mean you have to be open and honest about your junk, about your mess, about your sin, about your brokenness. And that's terrifying for me to say, that you have to be real about that and open and honest about that. But I want you to try to put yourself, put yourself in Thomas's shoes just for a moment. I mean, imagine you had privately said to your best friends uh, what Thomas said in verse 25. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Imagine you said that to your best friends. Imagine you said that and then Jesus showed up and then the first thing he said to you was, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. I'm willing to bet you would have been pretty uncomfortable at that moment. Because you would be thinking, how did he know what I told my friends last week? It would feel like your parents just snatched your phone away and started reading through all your text messages. Or like your husband got a recording of the time you went out to dinner with your three best girlfriends last week and heard what you actually talked about. Um, Because what would be dawning on you as you stood there in that moment with your mouth open, would be this. Jesus has been watching me all along. He knows everything I've been thinking, everything I've been saying, everything I've been doing. There are no secrets I can keep from Jesus. He knows every question, every bit of confusion, every doubt, every suspicion, every fear, every delight, every little thing about me. And here's what I'm saying. In that moment, Thomas was completely exposed. But look, he didn't try to explain his doubts away. But it's not my fault. I wasn't there last week. And he didn't say, it's not my fault. My friends ratted me out. Um, What he did was he got real before Jesus. He realized that no matter what he said, thought, or did, Jesus saw him to the very core of his being, to the very bottom of his soul. And the only course of sanity in that moment was to get real before Jesus. To say, yep, that's me. I demanded those things before I would believe of you. I didn't believe. 
I wouldn't believe. I refuse to believe. And by the way, to admit this, he had to say, it's not just that I didn't believe what my friends said. Because Jesus had told them over and over again that he was going to die and be raised. So he said, I didn't believe anything you said either, Jesus. Now, what if this community that we talked about in the first point, what if it was built on this foundation, as Brennan, Brennan Manning put it, that it's okay that you aren't okay here? Because truthfully, and some of you I don't even know, truthfully, that's all that's in this room, <laughs> is a bunch of people that are not okay needing Jesus to make it okay that we're not okay. I hope you follow that. Uh, And I'll get more to this in the next point, but don't you already get a taste of it a little bit in this point? I mean, Thomas got exposed, but it was safe. Right? It was safe to get real before Jesus. It was okay to not be okay. Uh, author Gordon McDonald, uh, who's not an alcoholic, but he went for months to an open Alcoholics Anonymous meeting to learn about its culture. He was a journalist, and he got a ton of great stories and insights. Um, and initially, he wrote um, about this experience of his that he felt the need to impress his new friends uh, with who he was. You know, kind of flashes credentials and resume a bit. And he wrote this. He said, "The fact is that this group." only wanted to know one thing. Was my life broken, and how could they help? This is the question. I'm going to tell you some more about what he wrote, but this is the question I want to ask you. What if you belonged to a community like that, where it was safe, and people wanted you to get real, and welcomed you to get real? McDonald wrote, I often left AA meetings deeply moved, sometimes in tears. I left feeling I'd been with people who were dealing with soul-level issues. For them, this hour was about life and death. Something in my soul resonated with the honesty of the group. There was not an ounce of judgment in the circle, just openness. Everything was on the table. And he shared this story from one of the meetings he attended. He writes, One morning, Kathy... I guessed her age at 35, joined us for the first time. One look at her face caused me to conclude that she must have been Hollywood beautiful at 21. Now, her face was swollen, her eyes red, her teeth rotting, her hair looked unwashed, uncombed for who knows how long. I've been in five states in the past month, she said. I've slept under bridges on several nights, been arrested, raped, robbed, And now she was weeping. I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore. But sobbing. I can't stop drinking. Sobbing more. I can't stop. I can't. Next to Kathy was a rather large, (laughs) rather large woman, Marilyn, sober for more than a dozen years. She reached with both arms toward Kathy and pulled her close, so close that Kathy's face was pressed to Marilyn's ample breast. I was close enough to hear Marilyn speak quietly into Kathy's ear. Honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. We can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. You hear me? Keep on coming. 
And then Marilyn kissed the top of Kathy's head. You know, for him, what started out as a a journalistic exercise, it became so much more. And throughout the article, McDonald kept asking a basic question, what if the church could exhibit and practice life like this? Listen, I'm not saying Grace Community Church has done this perfectly. That comes with with the territory of being a place filled with not okay and broken people, right? But you have been this to me and my family. You've been a place and a people that we could come and get real before Jesus. You've done so many great things for me and my family. Um, I mean, just last Saturday night at the going away party, y'all gave us a weekend trip to New Orleans. Um, I can't thank you enough for that. Jennifer was checking the calendar on the way home from that party to see when we could get away. Um, But one of the biggest gifts you've given us is just being a safe place to get real and to be open and honest about our brokenness. And I want to encourage you to keep getting real and to keep being a safe place for broken people. Because you have to get real before Jesus in order to believe this incredible news. That because of him, it really is okay. That you're not okay. I mean, that's the good news. Jesus has done everything for you. You're free in the gospel to get real. And I know it's scary, and I know it takes some risk, but you can take that risk because, my goodness, he already knows everything you're thinking, saying, and doing. Right? You can't surprise him. To become a great believer like Thomas, you have to get real. All right, third and last, last thing John shows us about how to believe like Thomas. You have to fall down. And it doesn't literally say Thomas fell down in this story, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did, because I think that's the posture that fits with what Thomas said in verse 29. As soon as Jesus was exposed to Thomas, or Thomas was exposed to Jesus, Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Did you catch what happened uh, there? Better yet, what didn't happen there? I mean, Thomas had demanded all of these things to believe, right? Jesus said, I know what you're thinking, Thomas. Here are my hands. Here's my side. Go ahead and touch, right? The thing Thomas said he would have to do in order to believe, but then Thomas didn't do it, right? And I think the reason Thomas didn't do it is actually in his confession, where he says, my Lord and my God. In other words, Thomas had placed conditions on God for his belief. I'll believe you if. And you don't give God conditions. That's a point the whole Bible makes. But you know what? We do it all the time anyway. Right? We say, Jesus, I'll believe you if you get me out of this mess. Jesus, I'll I'll follow you as long as following you doesn't interfere with my plans and my goals that I have for my life. Jesus, I'll obey you if you give my family security, if you help me get away, get ahead, if you improve my reputation. 
We want to use Jesus to climb up on his shoulders to reach the ultimate desires of our hearts, our idols, right? The things we're really worshiping. Deep down, we're saying, if, if I could just get that, if Jesus would give me that, if he would make that go away, if he would fix that, then I would have life. Then I would find rest. Then I would have joy. And here's why Thomas is an example of a great believer. He dropped all of his conditions and fell at Jesus' feet. He took his hands off of his life. And he said, Jesus, you're not here to do my bidding. You are Lord and God, King of kings, master of the universe. And he let go of his conditions so that he could grab hold of Jesus and nothing else. But there's still something missing in this. I mean, all that's true. You've got to show up. You've got to get real. You've got to fall down, drop your conditions. But that's a terrifying prospect. And it will stay a terrifying prospect in your life until, until Jesus becomes beautiful to you personally. One little pronoun in Thomas's confession, one little syllable that changes everything here. Listen again to Thomas' confession. My Lord, my God, what Thomas saw standing before him wasn't just a, a theological or doctrinal truth. Jesus is Lord and God. When Tom, what Thomas came to grasp when he showed up and when he got real was something very, very personal. He was looking at a wounded God, a God who had been pierced and run through, a God who had spilled his blood until his heart stopped beating for him. I mean, that little word, my, that pronoun, it changes everything. My Lord and my God so loved me that he himself came to die for me. Martin Luther once wrote, Be careful to learn this definition and especially this pronoun. Believe this one syllable and it will swallow up all your sins. That is, you may know for certain that Christ has taken away not just certain people's sins, but yours and in fact, those of the whole world. So believe that Christ was given not only for other people's sins, but also for your own. See, when you can apply the personal pronoun to Jesus, my Lord and my God, then all of a sudden something happens. Beauty breaks upon you, and you will find real freedom. Freedom to show up in community and to get real, and to drop all your conditions before Jesus. My all-time favorite quote from John Stock comes in, in his book that he wrote, The Cross of Christ. He writes this, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? That lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. Stott writes, that is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood 
tears and death. He suffered for us. And friends, that's what Thomas saw when he saw the resurrected Jesus. He showed up, he got real, and he fell before God who so loved him that he came to remove the sting of death in his own death. A God who removed the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He saw a God who laid aside his immunity to pain and was wounded for us personally. And really, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead says, your debt has been paid in full and death has been swallowed up in victory. The resurrected Jesus appeared in that room with locked doors, and he looked at his disciples, and the very first thing he said to them all was, peace be with you. It's okay that you aren't okay, because I died for you, and I rose from the dead for you. Death has been swallowed up in victory, and you really are free. Peace be upon you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for Thomas, who's a great example for us of how to believe and reminding us that we have to show up, that we need one another, that we have to get real that we have to own our brokenness and our sin and our mess. And Father, that we are made and you have redeemed us in order that we would fall down before you and worship you. Father, write these truths deep upon our hearts and change us forever. Amen.